Welcome to the TIFF Voices podcast. The music you're listening to is by San Antonio artist Alison Alonso. TIFF stands for Tejanas in Film, a collective that aims to empower Latina filmmakers who identify as Tejanas. Tejanas in Film prioritizes cultural identity and gender equity in our efforts to cultivate community and creativity, improve visibility, and increase our representation on screen and within the film and television industry. This particular edition of the Tip Voices podcast is our dissection of the Netflix show Selena the Series, because we gotta talk about the Tejana queen, Selena. We're your hosts, Samantha Ray Lopez from San Antonio, Texas. Sharon Atea from Corpus Christi. And Chelsea Hernandez from Austin. A full transcript for this episode can be found in the episode description. Hey everyone, welcome to episode eight. So we have our very first special guest. Today's episode is our conversation with Tejana and one of the screenwriters of part two of Selena the series, Marcelina Campos Mayhorn. I met her for the first time today and I'm just reeling with inspiration that I'm seriously going to be writing tonight. Here's a little background about Marcelina, whose name combines Marcela and Selena. Fate. Upon graduating from the University of North Carolina's School of the Arts, Marcelina Campos Mayhorn began her film career working for Austin Film Festival in Austin, Texas. In tandem with her work at AFF, Marcelina was also a freelance journalist and film critic whose work's been featured in publications like Slackerwood.com, Shondaland.com, and Texas Monthly. Originally from Seguin, Texas, she moved to LA in 2015, where she got her start as a line producer's assistant on the TV show CSI Cyber. She went on to assist on other television shows such as APB and Station 19 before landing her first staff writing job on part two of Netflix's Selena the Series. She currently works as a staff writer on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Here's our conversation with Marcelina. Yay, Marcy! Thank you so much for joining us on TIFF Voices. We're so excited that you are our first interview type of episode in anticipation. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That's amazing. I feel so, I mean, I was already honored, but now it's like a double honor. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, we are, you know, moving into season two of our show in anticipation of part two of Selena, the series, and thought you'd be kind of the perfect person to join us because one, we love you. And two, you were part of the writer's room in season two. So, but before we jump into all of that stuff, tell us about you. I want to know, you know, you're from Seguin. Tell us about your upbringing when you realized you wanted to be a writer and kind of how you got to where you are now and we'll dive into some deeper points too um but yeah just kind of high level like who is Marcy so um yeah but seriously thank you guys so much for having me on it's so exciting to talk with fellow Tejanas about working in film, working in the industry, and just in storytelling in general. Gosh, origin story. Yeah. So like you said, Sam, I'm from Seguin, Texas. Originally, I was born in San Antonio. So growing up, a lot of my time was spent in between those two places. Um, and then after college, I was in Austin for a while before moving out to LA. But um, yeah, growing up in Seguin, it was interesting because, um, so I'm Mexican-American and, uh, you know, my mom is is Latina and my dad is white. So, so much of my upbringing, what I always share with people when I talk about 
you know, you'll hear a lot of people talk about like their, their specific Latinx experience, right? And so mine, I always lead with that a lot of my upbringing and especially in a place like Seguin, Seguin is pretty small. I don't even know what the population is right now, but it was very <laughs> small growing up. And so a lot of my upbringing was was or my experience I should say not so much my upbringing upbringing, but like my own personal lens on the world was one of always feeling a little bit like an outsider but in a way that I couldn't articulate and I realize now being older and looking back on that that I think it came from not really a lot of the things that I that I write about now and that I I um that I kind of talk about are what I like to deem cultural confusion because it was this idea and this experience Mm -hmm. of being immersed in this very rich Mexican-American culture, Mexican-American family. My mom's family, we, we, they were the family members that were around the most. Um, A lot of my dad's family lived in like the Northern part of the country or kind of like Kentucky, Tennessee, like that area. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't see that family as often as just regularly we would see my mom's family. And so because of that, it was a lot of time spent in San Antonio. It was a lot of time uh, going to family reunions, going to quinces, going to anniversary parties, going to barbecues and cousins and birthday parties and this very rich experience. And it was funny because like I, you'll hear me say that like a lot of things I'm very, I've learned very recently because I feel like a lot of these conversations weren't really realized until very recently. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I have recently realized is how much um, I was a white passing Latina. Mm -hmm. So because of that, people would see me and my sister, my sister with like very, very straight hair as a kid and me kind of looking with like kinky curly hair, Mm -hmm. but like very light skin, like people, people knew that we were different, if you will, or looked different, but they something. could never, something, <laughs> exactly, but they could never articulate what we were, and in a place like Seguin, Seguin was a very um, German heavy town, so because of that, it was a lot of people whose family members were uh, were white or Caucasian, and so, um, you know, there was always a very, again, through my specific lens of we have a very white town and we have a very Latino town and there were clear divides between the two. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of intermingling. It was always like you knew where the white people lived and you knew where the Latinos lived. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't necessarily like socioeconomic as much as it was that that was just kind of how it was understood, mm-hmm. I guess, if you could say. And so in my mind, I never knew like here you have on the weekends, we're going to these very you know, Latino specific experiences and, and gatherings. And then at school, I never really knew where I kind of fit in. Mm-hmm. And I was teased a lot. I remember being bullied uh, very much when I, you know, got into like the bullying years, you know, of like 12 and 13 mm-hmm. and stuff. And I remember always being teased about looking different. And it started with my hair, right? I was Mm -hmm. the only girl in my class that had like curly, curly hair, short, curly hair, because who in Seguin knows how to style curly hair? (laughs) (laughs) So just like things like that, like I I really remember like being fuller in the hips and being, you know, bigger in that sense than the rest of my friends. And so I started feeling different visually or within myself Mm -hmm. very early on and not really understanding 
that so much of it was linked to my Latinidad and my, and that part of my family. And instead, I just saw it as I'm different. I stand out here in a way that I don't like but feeling othered, mm-hmm. but which was confusing to me because I was like, but I look similar to everybody, but I'm not mm-hmm. like there is a difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I still continue to feel that way. Um, I will say that getting older though, and uh, I went to high school in San Antonio and that really was the first time that I finally started feeling like here, because I went to school with so many girls of different Latinx backgrounds, uh, the majority being Mexican-American since, since San Antonio is, is very, um, that population is very heavy there. And so I started feeling like I was finally fitting in or finally finding like a community there. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really around the time that I started getting interested in filmmaking specifically. Mm-hmm. I had always loved writing. And in fact, I realized very, very recently that my grandpa on my mom's side was the one who really started encouraging me to write period uh because when I was like five or six he gave me a journal and it was like one of those like old school like not even a composition notebook man it was like some like like I don't even know what it was or where he got it but it was like a green like one of like hard journals and I remember it was lined and he gave it to me and he was like write down everything you know or just like write it down like that was the the overall, I'm sure I'm like misquoting it, which just like writing about everything. And that has always stuck with me because I would write down every little detail about my life, like to the new, my husband and I, like early on in our dating found that journal and I was writing down like what cereals I was trying, oh. like, like <laughs> rating them or just being like, it was good. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still so, doing that now? Do you journal now? I, it's not so much a daily journal as much as it will be free writing or it mm-hmm. will just be, you know, kind of taking a moment and just trying to write without stopping mm-hmm. how something made me feel or what I remember about something. I've fallen off of the like daily journaling. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that is, has come more with being a professional writer yeah. and knowing like how much of that I have to carve out for myself mm-hmm. and still trying to find the divide between like personal writing and professional writing yeah so I so writing was always something that was very in my personal origin story right and that was another thing that I always felt made me stand out from my friends is because I didn't know anybody that kept a journal like I knew girls that kept diaries and such but no one wrote in the way that I did because I was writing poems I was writing plays like I was writing just like songs I was writing all kinds of different things that from where I sit right now I really don't remember like I would share these things with my friends but I I also realized that I was the only one of my friends that did things like this so Mm. it was those very creative playful things as a kid very imaginative things that for some reason my peers around me they we all kind of went to a certain threshold and I kept going and everyone at some point decided that imagination was too childlike right? Mm -hmm. Or it's not adult. It's not Mm -hmm. when you get to the teenage years, it's not something that you want to, you don't play anymore. And I remember always questioning why we had to stop, you know, not necessarily from a maturity standpoint, but just in a, in my mind, it, 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 it seemed odd that I still wanted to write and I still wanted to do these things. And why is nobody else wanting to do them? Mm -hmm. But so it was kind of around seventh and eighth grade time. Um, that uh, I, I, w- I always tell people, I used to be very embarrassed about saying this, but now I have really come into my own and own it now. <laughs> uh, the movie that actually made me want to get into filmmaking was Lord of the Rings. 
the first one specifically, I, I wouldn't ever consider myself like a fantasy writer, like a, you know, someone like that, which is hilarious considering um, that I work on a very uh, fantasy sci-fi sci time travel show now, which is incredible. More on that later. Yes. <laughs> but it was the first time that I started kind of seeing the types of things that I liked writing about and had fun thinking about in a book. And so when that movie came out, I went to the theater and I remember sitting in that like small, really like dank, sticky Seguin theater watching this <laughs> incredible big thing in front of me and not, I loved the movie. And so it was, it was not so much the story element of it, but it was the first time that I really realized like somebody made this, mm -hmm. somebody, everything I'm seeing right now was created by someone this is something like so new to me and so surreal to me. I don't even know. I couldn't wrap my like 13 year old head around it. And so <laughs> from there, I started researching. I remember the Scholastic Book Fair yes, had a nice. book about <laughs> the making of Lord of the Rings that I bought. I like saved my money for it and just started studying and just kind of started wrapping my head around the idea of what it meant to work in this industry. And that film was the first time that I had really ever thought that or realized that that could be done. So going into high school, I knew that film, film specifically, because television wasn't um, a, a conversation at that point, really, like film and features were kind mm. of the bigger, the bigger thing. TV didn't really start becoming a conversation point until after I graduated college. It was so, so like, there was a lot of sitcoms and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't exactly. very storytelling, like how it is now. Exactly. Yes. No, Chelsea, you're totally right. And that, um, and I didn't watch, I watched a lot of old TV, like I Love Lucy and yeah. um, the Mary Tyler Moore show and like all of, you know, these very old sitcoms, which I loved, but it wasn't anything, you know, um, like modern day sitcoms. I wasn't really into those as much as I think that's also when I just started watching movies really regularly and started trying to find like what, you know, are kind of the cinematic plot points or not plot points, uh, tent poles that you, you know, that I should start learning about. So that was kind of my main, my main focus. And I took that all the way um, to applying to college where um, I, so I went to University of North Carolina School of the Arts for filmmaking. And I wanted to go there specifically because it was a very hands-on experience, right? It was something where from day one, you are learning about cinematography and editing and art direction and writing and directing and everything. You really just jumped right in. And so um, from there, I went through the directing program there because ironically, I thought, oh, well, the director is the person who has, is the, cre the head creative. And although that is true in some, in, in many capacities, when I got out of college, I took a step back and realized, well, actually the things that are more important to me as a storyteller is are writing it down. That's the most important part to me as a storyteller is, is being able to tell a story on the page with no one else touching it but me. You know, when you, and I, I know that all of us have worked in, in film uh, in some capacities, and I know Sharon and Chelsea specifically, you guys have directed, you know, you know that once from the page to the screen, there's so many things that can happen, so many different facets. And although that was something that I loved learning and I loved exploring, for me, having learned all of that, I realized like, you know what, what's important to me is starting it here. Mm -hmm. and, and staying in this world. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I knew I really liked and wasn't sure what to do with it. So of course, after college, being a film school graduate, I was like, well, I guess I'll go make movies now. <laughs> <Try to. laughs> yep. 
So um, I had already interned uh, in Los Angeles for a summer internship, knew that LA was a long-term goal, but I realized like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to figure out what I want to do first. So uh, my mom was the one who suggested checking out Austin first and seeing what that was about. So um, I got involved through Austin Film Festival because of Sam Lopez here yeah. on this podcast. Sam, Sam gave me a job. I hired her. I saw her resume and was like, uh, yeah. And then when we met, I was like, uh, yeah. So you're like... <laughs> You're one of the gifts that the universe has given, given to me. (laughs) Well, the feeling is very mutual because I too remember that interview. I'm just being like, this, this this lady seems very cool. I want to work for her. This is is awesome. Um, So because of Sam, I got involved with Austin Film Festival and worked there uh, first as their office manager. And then later on down the line as a conference coordinator. But AFF was really what what made me, what, what put the lens on, on TV writing. Mm-hmm. And it, it actually worked in tandem with, you know, being fresh out of college, the show that did get me into TV, I will say this, so Lord of the Rings was filmed, but what got me into TV was Ugly Betty mm, yeah. because mm-hmm. that had come out around like 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you guys, I spoke about this on that Selena panel that I think a few of you listened in on. And, and the reason that I always tell people about it is because that was the first time that I really saw myself Mm-hmm. in a show that was the first time that I was paying attention mm-hmm. to TV and I think that was around because that's when like Mad Men and Breaking Bad and that's when like people were really starting to put the lens a little more on TV and the power of mm-hmm. that and so that was something just learning what a writer's room is like and learning the collaborative nature of that was something that was way more appealing to me than working on the feature side so working my way up through AFF, um, I was working there and left there for a while because I realized once I learned like, okay, I want to be a TV writer from AFF, I knew I had to save money. I knew I had to, you know, do what I needed to do to move to LA. So I started nannying. I was a nanny for a few years. In oh, tandem yeah. With yeah. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that that happened. In my head, it was like AFF to LA, but yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was nannying. It was a lot of taking a leap of faith of quitting a job that, you know, was, was stable and, and provided me with a stable income because I also ha- hadn't written a pilot yet. I hadn't done anything TV related. And so, so I quit my job much to like the dismay of many people in my life and <laughs> started needing to just to support myself. And I also uh, started doing freelance writing at the time. I was copywriting. I was also writing for, um, a blog that sadly is no longer in existence, uh, Slackerwood, if you guys mm, remember, yeah. Slackerwood.com. Oh, right. mm-hmm. um, and so because of that, I was able to meet a lot of people in the film festival scene and in the independent filmmaking scene, people in TV as well. And so that was another big way for me to, to meet people and continue learning so that by the time I did move to LA in 2015, I already kind of had a network of people that I um, that I knew or could kind of reach out to. So yeah, so that that kind of was the getting to to LA point. I don't know how much you want to learn. Yeah, yeah. So now, so, so you're great. in LA. That was 2015. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe it's been that long already. <laughs> I know. Six years. This next month is it's feels like it it was so short and also has been wow. like six years. <laughs> So you arrived in LA in 2015, 2015? I did. Yeah. I packed up my mom and I drove out here. My mom, my tiny little mom drove this big Penske truck out here (laughs) 
with me and in my own car. Yeah, we drove uh, from Texas, from Seguin to LA, I think in like two days or so. Uh, but yeah, it was May 6th, 2015 that I arrived. And and what was that like? Like, did you just say like, okay, I'm going to chill out for three days and then on Monday, I'm going to start looking for work or how did that transition I, happen? You know, it's funny, Sharon, because I I really tried my best to create a plan. And this is where AFF really came into play is because I, I heard what other people did on their journey from Austin or point A to Los Angeles. And so much of it was, um, I don't remember if someone, I think someone told me this because there's this mentality, which I fully understand, but now having experienced it, I always encourage people because, you know, I've known so many people that are like, well, I don't want to move without a job. Mm-hmm. And I had the same mindset. I was like, well, I don't want to be like financially unstable or, you know, I'd saved up money, but I knew realistically that that's going to go away at some point. So I, through the encouragement of other people, realized that there are many people who want to help, but no one is going to help until you are actually in front of them and have made that mm, move to yeah, Los Angeles. Absolutely. And even now there are so many people that I meet through through Twitter or through um, you know other uh, peers or work colleagues who you know have someone that is an up and coming writer, director, actor, et cetera, who wants to move to LA and wants to, you know, meet up or hear advice. And I'm always happy to do it. And either, and it, of course, Zoom and the pandemic has been nice because I can do it this way. Mm-hmm. But in the past, and probably what I will go back to is wanting, I will happily talk to someone before they move. But as far as being able to help someone, I can't do it until someone is right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I can say like, oh, there's a job starting on Monday. Um, so to answer your question, Sharon, what I did is I reached out to people and started getting that response from people where it was like, I would love to help you. That's so great. You're going to be in LA. Please hit me up when you are here. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure that Monday, I was just a slew of emails to people being like, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I have arrived. (laughs) I have arrived. I am ready to go. Um, and I, I, I really, I'll have to see if I still have it. I put together like a, a Google doc of who I knew in Los Angeles, how I knew them either through college, through AFF, friends of friends, and just tried my best to reach out to as many people as I could. And that kind of became a regular thing for me, almost in as much as like applying to jobs became a thing. Um, I did move out here with a job in the sense that I continued to nanny when I moved out here. I had uh, one or two families that I had already connected with through um, some friends so that when I moved out here, I did have a job so that I would still be able to support myself. But I made it a point to just try to reconnect with as many people as I could and tell people. And that was a really big lesson that I learned too, because when I moved to LA, I was so afraid to tell people I wanted to be a writer because I thought, well, everybody wants to be a writer. Everybody wants to be an actor, director, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And thankfully a friend of mine, uh, is my friend VJ Boyd, shout out to him if he's listening, uh, we went to lunch and I remember him asking like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what is it that you ultimately want to do? I was like, well, like, I guess I want to write. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was like, was that? Like, like, what is that now? And I was like, well, I, I want to be a TV writer. And I said, but you know, um, and VJ is also a, a TV writer himself. And, and I was like, well, I want to do that. But like, I feel weird telling people, especially telling someone like VJ, who is a writer, because 
in my mind, I was hung up on, well, people, everybody wants to do that. What everybody moves to LA for something like that. Mm -hmm. And I said that I was kind of, you know, embarrassed to say that. And he very much was like, let me stop you right there. He was like, you cannot be afraid to tell people what it is that you want to do because otherwise no one is going to know how to help you. If you are not, you know, basically Mm -hmm. if you are not helping yourself, if you are not telling people what your goals are, what you're trying to do, when a, when an opportunity comes up, people aren't going to think of you because they think you've either got it or they don't know. They're, you're unsure. It's important to be confident and and show that passion. So people remember your passion and and know you want to do something that has come up, you know, with absolutely, absolutely. And once I started doing that, once I started manifesting it, if you will, and putting it out there with people, I noticed that not right away, but in time, those things came back around the people that I had told, like my, my first big break, if you will, was in, um, later in 2016, after having worked as a line producer's assistant on a show, having been an production office PA, having been a temp at CBS, like kind of in the business, like corporate side of things, I got my first writer's PA job from a writer who I had worked with on that very first job when I was a line producer's assistant, because at some point I had said to her that I want to work in a writer's room one day. I am trying to make my way over there. And it just so happened that the show she was working on, they had promoted the PA to some other, you know, they were, the PA was going on to do their thing. And so they had an opening and she's, I remember she shot me a message on Facebook and was like, Hey, I remember you said you wanted to be in a writer's room, are you still interested? Because this job just came about. And this was after, you know, almost two years of having been in LA at that point. So like I said, not right away, but eventually just from from putting it out there and the many times where I was like, huh, I'm sure people are tired of hearing that. It finally <laughs> paid off mm-hmm. in a way that after that, then by again, continuing to use what my goal was as a guiding light that finally ended up paying off down the line. But because I never lost sight of that and didn't stop telling people, and of course not in like a braggy way, you know, just in a like, no, this matter of fact, like, like this I'm is truly what I want to do. Yeah. yeah, I'm informing you. I mean, there were many times where I lost jobs because I said, I'm not lost them, but you know, in a job interview, I'll never forget. I told some, some corporate person, uh, I think this was my temp job, maybe that I was like, oh, I want to be a showrunner eventually, or like work in a TV room. I remember he had my resume and he just like put it down and was like, well, this is not the job for you. <laughs> he was like, this is, this well, is good. strictly, yes. He was like, this is a business job, or this is for people that want to work on the business side. This is nothing to do with the creative. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it is so easy to tell someone in a job interview that what they want to hear, because if you want a job and I had at that point had been unemployed for months. So it was very easy to, I could have, but I knew that I would end up somewhere that I didn't want to be. You'd be doing yourself a disservice. It wouldn't be good for the job. Yeah. I mean, you put that out in the universe. Like I'm going to be a showrunner someday. I'm going to be a writer. I love that. What does a writer's PA do? A writer's PA is very much a, a, being a PA in general is unfortunately kind of the, uh, what's the, t- what's the phrase that they use? Is it a grunt? Is it a gopher? It's something. <laughs> 
probably a totally wrong word, but um, you are basically the person who is running around and doing the stuff that what feels like nobody else wants to do. And so I knew that by moving out to LA, I was like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to start at the bottom of a new ladder. Mm -hmm. And I knew that being something like a writer's PA was a great way to start because you're still in the writer's room. You're still meeting all of these writers. You're just getting their lunch. Mm -hmm. You're getting their coffee but you have the opportunity to, depending on the show, I've, I've heard this isn't always the case, to go then be in the writer's room and see what that is like. So usually those jobs also um, promote, depending on the longevity of the show and everything. Unfortunately, the show that I was a PA on got canceled after that first season, mm -hmm. but it was okay because I'd already had that on my resume then. Then mm -hmm. it was sort of like, I've already in this party, now it's just finding a new section of the party to go to. Um, but that is usually a job that a lot of um, people, if you want to work your way up in a writer's room that way, uh, going the assistant route, the writer's PA job is like the entry level. Like that's the one that you that you want to start with. So I want to rewind a little bit and go back to your childhood and growing up in Seguin. And yes. um, how much was Selena like a part of your life then? And you know, that sort of Tex-Mex uh, that you experienced, you know, being in two worlds, sort of, you know, the same. I feel like a lot of people connect with Selena on that, too. Um, was that was she a, a, a big person, a big part of your life, you know, growing up or even in college, even going out to L.A.? Like how how did her and her music kind of play a role in your life? It, it played a very significant role. I remember and I believe I shared this with um Moises Zamora, uh, the showrunner of the show, when he interviewed me that, um, you know, my earliest memories of Selena were how, so I am, I am not a good Spanish speaker. My Spanish, we did not speak. I, I learned and I understood Spanish in the sense of my grandparents speaking it to each other and my mom speaking it. And it was one of those, I knew that at some point in time, my grandparents could speak to me in Spanish and I would respond in English, mm -hmm. but because we never practiced it in my house, it wasn't something that came naturally to me. And that is something that growing up and now being an adult, I kind of have this, uh, this anxiety around and struggle with. But the reason that I say that is because my first memories of Selena were listening to, or was listening to her music and not understanding what she could say. And my mom and my grandmother would translate it for me. And so in a way, it kind of became this like very first like Spanish lesson for me of trying to understand and then hearing the way that it was translated and, and trying to understand what that meant, you know, when you, you would hear like como la flor and uh, and, and these songs that were about like heartbreak and they were about pain and struggle and trying to not only process the translation of that but to to try to understand what that meant you know at, at five or six years old um and I remember seeing the uh the album cover of her and at the time it was a cassette tape yeah of her <laughs> and just knowing that she existed and I remember my mom and grandmother telling me how important it was I don't know if they used the word important but they shared with me, I remember knowing it was important that someone like Selena existed because she was Mexican-American, because she was Tejana, because she looked similar to me, you know, with the dark hair, the lighter skin, uh, you know, the very like, ex and I don't want to say exaggerated features, but very like striking features that, that I could see myself when I looked at her. 
-hmm. And I remember them saying that this was very, that it was big for a woman to, um, to be in the spotlight in this way. And, it, and I remember understanding in whatever language my family used to me that, that this was important. It was important for our community. It was important that someone like Selena existed. Mm -hmm. So when she died, I remember watching the news coverage on TV and really feeling it. And I don't remember that we talked about it um, in my house. I, don't, I just remember watching the news coverage of it, but I remember feeling some kind of way in a feeling of like, well, what does this mean now? What does it mean now that this person doesn't exist? Because by the time from, from me being aware of Selena to the time she died was a very short, uh, very small time frame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it felt like this very rich piece, this very rich like moment in time that then was like kind of shut down. And I never forgot that. And so I feel like there was a period of time when she died. And I remember knowing that she no longer could make music. But then, and in high school, it was, I don't ever remember talking about Selena as much as I, to, to be honest with you, wasn't really until I got out of college and moved to Austin when I really started kind of re-exploring that or re-thinking about that again. Mm -hmm. But to be honest with you, when it really hit was moving out to Los Angeles because in LA meeting other Latinx um, uh, people and from different, you know, like Cuban, Puerto Rican, Dominican, all these different backgrounds and people who knew of Selena, it really was eye-opening in a way that, you know, certain clubs out here will have Selena night and, and it's a whole big thing, which is incredible. And I know that they did that in Texas, but for some reason being away from Texas and seeing how much it was celebrated, it was a very real thing out here and for me it became a way to remember home and remember Texas mm -hmm. so that's always something that now when I think of Selena I I associate her with yeah we were just talking about those Selena yeah. parties in the the last episode that we recorded definitely yeah. is one of those things that like keeps her alive and I think that quote mm -hmm. of like she says, um, oh, I'm going to butcher this quote, but something along the lines of like, what's your legacy? And like, what are you going to be leaving behind? Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of like the season two trailer or whatever, but. Yes, uh, it yeah. is. But it fits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we talked about that in the room. That was pulled from a, a real interview that she did. And we really focused on the moment of her like thinking about it and. And that led to so many discussions in the room because we we all, Chelsea, in the same way that you just asked, we all kind of went around and talked about it. It was a very mm -hmm. real conversation for like a day or so in the room of, of what does that legacy mean to us mm -hmm. and how can we convey that? How can we shine that through in this uh, in this series? Yeah, I, I just love, I love that idea of how you had, you know, your uh, experience of Selena in Texas and then going mm -hmm. to California and having a new experience and that's so great to hear like the connection between like Texas and Cali you know yeah. in my mind it's always like oh that's a whole different like Latinx experience you know and, yeah. and it's so different from Texas like how can we be one but like hearing that from you it it's really uh that's inspiring yeah mm -hmm. it's it's really cool Marzi so how did you land the the job at the biggest Latina story on Netflix. And, and when um, did that happen? 
Yeah, no, that is a, that is an excellent question. Um, so much in the same way that uh, it's funny that you asked that, Sharon, since you had asked like what I did, you know, when I first moved out here and mentioning reaching out to people and and uh, uh, connecting with people. A big reason too that that was important to me to do is because one, it had been four or five years since I had graduated from college and really had even been, I had never worked in the industry. You know, my last experience of being on a set had been in film school, right? I hadn't, you know, been on a big TV set or a film set or anything like that. So when I moved out here as in the same way that I was like, I'm starting on a new lower level, I made, I, I came here knowing that I want to learn as much as I can, again, like I'm going to have to do a lot of relearning here. And for me, the way that I did that was I, anytime that someone was like, Hey, can I put you in touch with this person? Or this might be a good person for you to get coffee with. I would take someone up on that Mm -hmm. because to me, it was just important to meet people, not in a networking sense, but just in a way of like, what is your story? Like what, you know, how did you do it? How did you get from point A to present day? Like building relationships. Exactly. And and just building because you, as I'm sure you guys can relate, it's like no two people's stories of getting to like where all three of you are right now and your own creative journeys. It's like, I am sure are very different from mine or from someone else's. And so, you know, to meet other female writers or female executives, you know, uh, people of color and, you know, LGBTQ members, like everybody. I was so curious how, not only how people got to where they were, but what that meant in their own personal identity, right? In their own community, what were the challenges that they were facing? Like, and especially as a storyteller too, I just wanted, I crave that. I've always loved talking with people and hearing other people's experiences and, and making it a conversation. And so, that became a way to, once I moved out here and started meeting other people that, you know, I, it has never been my MO to meet someone just to get something out of you. Right. Which is unfortunate because I think everybody kind of views Hollywood in that icky sort of way. It's sort of like a, what can you do for me sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and it's transactional. Exactly. And there are people like that. There's always going to be people like that in every kind of industry. But there are so many people who are just very genuine and really want to help you succeed and want to keep in touch and want to know, want to be friends. Like that is a very real thing. And um, so it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's, uh, yeah, that Hollywood stereotype is not always true of just, it's not like who you know and sort of stuff. Um, Even though in in this instance, it kind of was, but uh, so at this point in time, so they announced that Selena was going to uh, be a thing. I I had heard rumblings of it before even it was announced in October of 2018, I think it was, that they actually announced that it was gonna be a series. But prior to that, I had heard people already talking about it. And anytime I heard of it, I knew in my heart that that was something that I wanted to be a part of in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I would hear anything about it, I would always try to just kind of keep an ear to the ground and ask people, be like, oh, have you heard anything about this? Do you know anybody that works on this? Like what, you know, what, what do you know? Or what, you know, just having conversations about it. And so I had, you know, every time it kind of fell flat, right? It would be like, oh, they're maybe making a Selena series. And then I would hear nothing. And so it would go nowhere. So finally they announced it in like Deadline and Variety and all of this in October, 2018. And this was when I was a writer's room assistant on Station 19. And 
at that point, I had already written a few samples. Um, I had a, a manager, finally, I just signed with someone and um, asked her, I was like, can you please see, can you please like, oh my gosh, is the room, you know, what's the, the status? And right away, she was like, nope, they've already hired everybody. Like it's, this was just a, it's already, the, the deals are done. This is just us telling the world that it's out there. And so I was like, one thing I learned being out here is that there, when you think like, oh, there's not an opportunity for me, somewhere down the line, someone gets promoted or someone finds a better job and they leave mm -hmm. and there's a vacancy. So I was a little bit like, maybe something will happen, but also for the most part, I was trying to be realistic and be like, okay, well, I'm going to support it no matter what. Like, this is very cool. This is a big deal. So in the meantime, though, I just started kind of asking people, well, who's in the writer's room? Who do you know? And through a writer that I knew from Station 19 and some other writers in the room, they were able to piece together someone that knew Moises or someone that knew other writers in the room. And so it just so happened that where I was repped at the time was also the same management company that repped Moises. So we were able to kind of get in touch with some people through this other writer that I knew. And she was like, oh, I know Moises. I'm happy to like put in a good word for you even though the room is hired, like you would just be a good person for him to meet. Like, I think you guys would yeah. hit it off and also being a Latinx um, storyteller and writer. So in my mind, I was like, okay, well then I would just love to meet Moises. And I remember he sent like this very lovely email to my friend that was like, Marcy sounds great. Hopefully down the line, we can meet someday. Like the room is staffed, but you know, mm -hmm. thank you for sending her writing sample along. Like we'll keep her in mind for future projects. So what ended up happening, so that was, yeah, October. And so I didn't hear anything more about it. Um, I parted ways with that manager after a short period of time and ended up getting together with a newer manager in like April of 2019. And that was another, you know, new working relationship. We were very excited about it. And so I told him, I was like, you know, I'm a Latinx writer. I'm a Mexican-American writer from Texas. Like, I love writing about um, my family. Like we were, you know, family dramas, one hour dramas are kind of my, the things that I love to write about the most. I love writing about female characters, especially, you know, the cultural confusion thing I talked about. Um, the sample that I had at the time was about a young woman having to come home back to Texas after her and her father are both diagnosed with cancer at the same time. Oh, wow. Very uplifting. So, but it was, it was about, it's a comedy uh, It's a comedy, and it was about, it was a Latino family and, you know, it was about sisters and, and, um, relationship with your dad and, and all of these things that, that I was very, very passionate about. So I'm telling my manager all of this. And of course, you know, that working relationship is like, okay, well, let's see what's out there. So this was now April, yeah, 2019. And I'll never forget I got an email one day and, and in the meantime of doing this, I also found out there was another writer, Aaron Cerna, who was in season mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. I found out that a friend of mine also knew him. And so had, you know, like there were people that had put in a good word for me at a time where it didn't matter because everybody was working on the show. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like, Marcy sounds great. Nothing we can do really at this moment in time. So, you know, just cool to meet people, cool to, you know, be recognized in some capacity. So what ended up happening was uh, a lot of times with shows, you will have a contract, right? You'll have like, you are going to be on the show from January to April or depending on whatever the episode order is. 
And what ended up happening is that they realized they needed a little more time to work on the, the show. So because of that, a lot of, a few writers had already had development deals or they had new shows that they were going to be staffed on. So when the contracts, you know, in the time of trying to extend it, some, not everybody could continue on um, working on season two. So because of that, there were now vacant spots in the room. And here comes and, Marcy. <laughs> and so I get an email one day from my manager. The subject line just says Selena in all caps. And I remember it said, he said, hey, Marcy, I just got word of this show. It's about a Tejano singer in Texas <laughs> named Selena Quintanilla. Would this be of interest to you? They're looking for writers. <laughs> and I Would this be of interest? I love how I had to explain it. It's this Tejano singer. <laughs> yeah, I saw the subject she? line. Yeah. I was like, what other Selena is there? Right. <laughs> I like screamed. My husband was like, what's wrong? And right away, I, I think I either called him or wrote, wrote back and was like, 100%. I have been trying to get onto this show for months or just had spin in my orbit. Please, please, please. Yes. Send my, send my writing sample in. And when that happened, Moises remembered me or had, had, had remembered my name at the very least from the friend that had recommended me mm -hmm. months before, almost half a year before now. Uh, I believe Aaron remembered me, like people, like other people in the room remembered my name. They might not have remembered my, my writing because I don't know that they read it at that point, but they remembered my name and remembered that people had said like, oh, Marcy would be a good person for you to meet. And word of mouth and, and recommendations from people, like recommendations like we're, you know, as in-person ones go so faster than a resume, mm -hmm. especially in this industry, because people just want to genuinely work with people, one, that are passionate about whatever story you're telling, and two, that other people have worked with and like working with and are just easy to be around or fun to be around or have good ideas. You know, you, as a showrunner, it's up to you to, de to decide, like, who do you want? telling the story and, yeah. and you want to do it with people that that are passionate about it that understand it and want to be there mm -hmm. and those were things specific with this story that I was like no 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 I want to be there please yes. like yeah. please <laughs> let me let so me let's dive that. into that part too so yeah. you know now that you've made it into the writer's room you're now building a story around a person like a real person that you already have a connection with what was that like like how I mean I'm, I'm sure it's very different from you know creating your own stories so how how different was that for you and and what was the process really like yeah um <clears throat> yeah it was it was it, it is not lost on me that my first writer's room experience as a writer was that was Selena's story because one, yeah, I had, like you said, Sam, I, I'd never written about anybody who, a, a real person, mm -hmm. it was always fictional. And two, someone that meant so much to me. Mm -hmm. But I think what ended up, what helped me was that I knew of Selena and knew, knew her in this sort of um, mythical sense, if you will. Like it was someone who, who really the mythology of her or just the idea of her was something that was otherworldly, right? Like, and I think we, like I've seen Greek like goddess or something. Exactly. <laughs> like I know that Texas Monthly has touched on this. People have written about this, just like the cultural icon that is Selena and mm -hmm. what she embodies. And, and we all came, everybody in the room 
came in with that perspective, the different perspective of like what their relationship with Selena looked like. And what was good for me personally was that I, I didn't know very much about her whole story. You know, I knew her death. I knew, you know, more or less the details of that. I knew uh, about her upbringing. Like I, I didn't know very much. I knew enough, but not everything. And so the first thing that we had to do um, as writers was we were sent this, I believe it was like over 400 page research packet that was just filled with newspaper articles, interviews with her, just any time that she was mentioned anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I poured through every single page learning like it was stories about when she was with Los Dinos like get you know just as a child all the way to her um her funeral you know when you are starting from that early to going through that you are learning and and like I said interviews with her and whole career her whole career and a lot of and several times like in her voice of what she's saying on the written page and there were um, YouTube videos that we would watch performances like I w- came into it knowing having a better idea of who this person was what she stood for what she believed in like what she you know just and I think you you kind of pick up um, as a storyteller like okay I noticed that she talks about this a lot or I noticed that she she's very loving she very much has an affection for her family okay like the way she talks about her husband she you know again this family like you start finding the similar I don't say similarities but the the things that are repeated a lot Mm -hmm. and you start kind of making these notes for yourself of okay I noticed that she's talking about this this and this and and maybe everybody other writers did it differently that was how I personally approached it with like this is what I'm seeing a lot of Um, she didn't like talking about her religious background. She never really touched on that. She didn't believe in talking about Mm -hmm. money or politics or religion. She always wanted it to be about her music. And so you, you start kind of forming these ideas of what you think this person might be like. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate because she's no longer alive. And so it's not like we could ask her these questions, but, um, when I came into the room, they also had, uh, Moises had had conversations with the family mm-hmm. and so that was another piece of material that we had to work with was these kind of memories that they had and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, uh, learning about her in fact I was I was laughing because I was listening to some of y- y'all's uh, episodes from last season mm-hmm. and Chelsea I was listening to when you guys talked about the first episode and wondering like did that really happen of her being named Selena from yes. this woman in the waiting room and and it did that was really wow. how she got that was because they they thought it was going they thought that uh um Marcella had a tumor and so when she ended up being pregnant and then and they thought it was a tumor and then they knew she was pregnant I think they thought it was going to be a boy so they were kind of planning for a boy's name and then it was a girl and they hadn't thought of a girl's name. And so wow. the woman next to her, I think had had a boy and they, they like, they basically like traded names, <laughs> Swapped names. <laughs> because our, neither had been planning for our, that. You're going to be our go-to now for any of these questions that we might not know. Like, Hey, yeah, <laughs> like a lifeline. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, like I learned so, so, so much about her to the point that now that the show has you know that the room wrapped and that now that it's on the air I had to like remove myself from learning more about Selena because I was like I'm at a capacity yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. so much. 
<laughs> I gotta take a little mind cleanse. I could um, imagine. So yeah, so 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 we came in with an idea. I came in with an idea of like what what I believed she would be like and and having an idea of that. Um, but it is tough. It's tough because like I said, you it's it, it to it would be like if I'm writing about any of you three ladies, right? Like I'm I'm writing about you in the way that I see you, mm-hmm. whether or not that's true. Yeah. Is one Your thing. Perception. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's our our perspective. And you know, we we also came into it knew, knowing that we had a big what's the word? We pressure. Mm, we had we knew that a lot of people were going to put a, a lot into this in the same way that that when Selena the movie came out or anything Selena related you know if, if Selena is someone that is important to you you have expectations you have your personal ideas of what you think that means mm-hmm. so we knew that people were going to be watching this with their specific lens and it's tough because you know we saw leading up to it and I stopped reading like comments and, you know, you know, questions or, or I don't say questions, but like comments that people would make about the show. And, you know, everybody has their own opinion of, and, you know, wondering like, why was it done this way? Why was it done this way? And it's like, we could only do it in the way that, that we, these writers knew how to do it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be the actual way that it was. It's only going to be in the way that we are, are trying to imagine it and show it. And of course, that's not going to to click with everybody else. So, you know, we also kind of had to remove any sort of ideas of pleasing people and really just keeping in mind how we wanted to tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's entertainment also. Yeah. You know, you're, you're exactly. writing a story. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Marcy, what was it like being a Tejana in the writer room, the writer's room? <laughs> Um, it was amazing because, uh, you know, with, uh, with Moises, w- one thing that was so wonderful about this also being our first, my first writer's room experience was that um, it was an all Latinx room. Every writer uh, was, I think we had uh, several Mexican and Mexican-American writers. We had um, a few Cuban writers, some uh, Dominican, uh, I think Puerto Rican. We just had this uh, this really beautiful blend of different Latinx backgrounds and different um, viewpoints on Selena, like I, I mentioned earlier. But me, there there were a few writers. Like I said, Aaron, I unfortunately never got to work with in season one. Um, I know he he brought that experience, and then in the room, uh, myself and another writer, uh, Raymond Arturo Perez, who was also from Texas. And so we, that was kind of the piece that we brought, right? Was that we would- We're big fans of his too. Oh yes, he's, <laughs> oh, I love Ray. We, and that was, that was what was great, right? Because we could talk about these very specific Texas experiences, like going to Waterburger, like, <laughs> Taco oh. Cabana, like, you know, very, like, very, I love that I listed food references for as well. Uh, you know, I mean, it's very, Texas. Yeah. It's Texas, so it's food, <laughs> big red, uh, you know, very specific uh, touch points and, and cultural references and things that were really, um, you know, really also added to it. So it was, it was great having that as part of my identity and having that as part of my background because there were, there were times where we would, you know, look at when we came in Moises already knew like what each episode was going to be about what it was going to touch on like he had already like especially when he pitched it um 
the series and the idea for the series. Uh, I don't remember if he had each episode fully planned out, but he had, he knew like what the tent poles were as far as like what to hit and what, um, what to focus on. And so when we came into the room, he very much shared that with all of us of like, here's what we're trying, here's what each episode is going to be about. Here's what we're, what we want to focus on and, and work on. And, you know, just like we were, like you were saying earlier, Chelsea, with like, kind of it's entertainment. And so, you know, there are certain things, right. Where it's like, well, someone going to get tacos on a Sunday morning is one thing, but how can you make it a little more dramatic? How can you make that something that maybe there's a lesson to be learned, or maybe there's something cool that you can infuse into it. Like that is very much a part of, of writing for TV and films. Like you've always got to kind of make it a little more, give it a little more oomph. Um, and so, you know, as the writers, we would look at those things and would try to find like, well, where are some things that we can kind of touch on here? Are there any specifics that we can touch on? And so uh, having the like, the Hana lens on it, it could, you know, there were things where it was like, well, you know, maybe they are having this at a Whataburger or like maybe they are, you know, in Corpus and they're by the beach or, you know, there were, there were things that we would, that um, I'm trying to remember if there were any specific ones, but I know that there were a few times where some of the writers who weren't from Texas would turn to me or return to like Raymond and I and ask like, was there anywhere that, you know, Texas specific or Texas related that we can kind of infuse into this scene? Mm -hmm. And so we would kind of, you know, pitch on different, like, again, the Whataburger one is the first thing I'm thinking of, of like, oh, if it, if they're here, likely they would be at a Whataburger or, you know, is Bill Miller barbecue around at this time? Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, I think at some points they're going to Target. And so we're like, was Target around? Like, you know, we, we kind of, had this like Latinx hat on, but also like the Tejano hat on mm -hmm. of, you know, okay, I think here's what we could do to kind of make it a little more infused. Um, I remember there is one, I, I don't know if it if it's in there, but at one point we had been pitching, we were trying to like think of some, some way that the family is like sharing news with each other. I don't remember. It was like someone has uh, either not a secret, but someone has a piece of information and we wanted to try and like figure out the best way to like reveal whatever this piece of information is. And somehow in the room, we were like, well, what about a barbecue, like a backyard barbecue? That is a very Texas, mm -hmm. what feels like a very Texas specific thing to me. And especially being like, you know, Mexican-American, that was something where I was like, oh yeah, I went to so many barbecues for cousins mm -hmm. and such. And, you know, down to like, we were telling them like what kind of foods they could be putting out there, right? And like different, different things. So um, there were pieces of, of that where it was like lending that lens and lending that experience. It was able to kind of hopefully do our best to flesh out some, some scenes in a way that felt more authentic uh, that if you, if, people from Texas hadn't, uh, hadn't been in the room. So, um, since so you came was, in, yeah. since you came in on season two, had you mm -hmm. already seen season one? Like, did, did you watch it and then jump in or was it? No. So season one hadn't, uh, been the, the one that we saw premiere a while ago that, that hadn't come out. We, we had access okay. to the scripts. So we knew what, um, what had already been written and what, so, so that we as the season two writers could see like what her journey you know mm -hmm. as a as a person but also as a character in the mm -hmm. series how that came to be so that by the time we got to season two 
we, and if there was ever anything that we weren't sure of, there were still a few writers from season one that were there that could say like, oh, actually here, let me, you know, walk you through how we got to mm -hmm. this, you know, we want to do this in season two. So here's how we got from, from that, from then to now. Um, so we, ha we hadn't watched anything yet. It was only just the, the scripts. Okay. Yeah. Are there any other things you want to share with us about your experience working on this, like, dream series for you um you know it it I definitely want to give a shout out to Moises and uh and our co-showrunner Gio because it I it is not lost on me the how much and and definitely Moises like he he very much wanted to have a show a Latinx show that had Latinx writers and creatives behind it. That was something that he really fought for. And it was also important to him to have writers like myself who were just tr trying really hard for that first break, that first mm -hmm. opportunity. And, the, and I could tell that he saw the excitement in when I, you know, told him the importance of what this meant to me and the experience, you know, that I had growing up in Texas and you know, of course, I'm sure as a showrunner, you you have an idea of who you want to bring to the table. But the fact that I was given this really rich opportunity to not only be around other writers, but to have it be an entirely Latinx room, it, it made it feel safe. And it made it feel like I was always understood. Mm -hmm. I never had to over explain anything. I never had to you know, kind of qualify a statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like break down what this meant. Like I was in a room full of people that just got it. Mm -hmm. And to everything that I shared with you guys earlier about feeling different or feeling othered or feeling like, you know, in my specific case of like feeling like sometimes just some, some white girl that people just only saw as white and, and trying to always have to defend my authenticity. I didn't have to do that in this room, uh, I was able to just be and be myself and be myself around other people that didn't question any of that. So I always have to give Moises a shout out for that opportunity because knowing that that was my first experience in a writer's room is something that I will always carry with me down the road and, and will always do my best to try and pay back and pay forward down the line when I am in a position of when I can Mm -hmm. can hire people or give someone that first, um, that first opportunity. So I think above all, that's, that's something that I love talking about in our room and celebrating is that it was a room of all Latinx people and giving, uh, everyone, giving those writers the opportunity to create and, and tell it from our, and the way that we wanted to is so awesome. I'm so happy that that experience, that you had such a good experience in that way. Cause it, it feels so like full circle, right? Like, yeah you started writing as a kid and you felt this kind of like you felt Solitude different and now you landed your yeah. first big Hollywood job and it's it means so much you know yes. so much more so oh my god I love to hear it from yeah. being a, a lonely writer in Seguin to like being accompanied by a bunch of Latinx writers yeah it, was, it, it feels very surreal sometimes when I think about it well, it, it's something too, we were talking in our last episode of just like 
for for the people who complained about the series or didn't like it because of you know the certain details or whatever that you know perhaps weren't you know what they wanted it to be you know like just celebrating like an all latinx writer's room like creative it being on netflix you know and like having a leading latina you know be the center of this series i mean that's like a celebration in itself and it's just so refreshing to like see that and know it did really well too on netflix like that's that's amazing. I just, I love that story. I'm so glad you shared that. Um, so I, and, and, you know, now that we're talking about representation, like, um, and you're there in Hollywood, what are some of the challenges do you think, um, are coming up for Latinos in Hollywood in regards to representation? And do you think that like this past summer, you know, with the racial reckoning happening all across the country, you know, um, we're seeing workplaces now really, you know, dive into diversity and inclusion in their own workplace. Um, is that, and when we've heard Hollywood speak about it too, and execs have stepped down and um, blah, blah, blah. Um, do you think that is, is spurring a movement um, for more Latinos in Hollywood? Um, yeah, like what's what's happening right now? What what do you see going on? <laughs> um, that's an that's a wonderful question. I I think about that a lot. I, I think about Latino representation in um, in TV and in and in film, and I think the biggest thing to, to okay to kind of to walk through your question, Chelsea. Um, I do think the things are happening. I think wheels are turning for people. I've definitely seen um, now, you know, look, everything that I'm going to say is again, from my like personal perspective and what I have personally experienced, you know, I can't obviously speak to everybody else's experience, but um, you know, after I wrapped Selena um, a while later, uh, I now am writing on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And that is not an all Latinx room, but is a very diverse room. And uh, we have white writers, Filipino writers, Latinx writers, um, you know, we have all different, uh, a a great mixed bag of people in there. And so that is interesting because, you know, I think it's a, it's a group of very open-minded and understanding people. And I feel very safe now bringing up, like now having seen and experienced what a very authentic and a, and a very, um, being in a room of again of like all Latinx writers, everyone being part of the same community and seeing what it took to do that. I, I feel confident now with in this job and now and, and in my own writing and when I talk to other writers of um of just kind of flagging like how can we how can we be authentic in our storytelling? How can we make this how can we make this nuanced? How can we make it so that it's not stereotypical and not in a way that, you know, you're calling someone out of like, this is a stereotype because what's unfortunate about the industry is that for so long, the way that we view other communities, the black community, the Asian community, the LGBTQ community has, has so long been through this lens of, of white creators. And I read this line once, um, I feel like this is a few months ago. Um, I think, I can't remember, I don't want to misquote, but I believe it was Lulu Wong talking about Hollywood and saying that for so long, there's been this idea that white equals neutral, that you can be neutral in the way that you're sharing that. 
And that is not in any way to discourage white creatives from sharing these stories about other communities that they don't belong to. But I think what we're finally seeing is that if you want to tell those stories of a specific community and you are not a part of it, bring in people that are a part of it and bring in people that know and understand and can speak to that experience, either in a writing capacity, a directorial capacity, um, producers, like having that, because for so long, unfortunately, I think we created a lot of content over the years that was based on how we see other communities. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it was stereotypical or it was in a way that was tropey or made to be funny or comedic. And again, that's not to slam everything that has been created up until like, you know, last summer. But um, I realize now kind of looking at things with that lens and seeing how there's just like, for example, like there, there is no way I'm ever going to understand of what it means to be a man, right? It's like, I can envision all that I want, but if I'm trying to write a male character, there's only so far I can go before mm-hmm. I have to ask my husband or ask a peer, ask someone like, well, what does this mean? Like, what's, what am I missing here? Mm-hmm. And I think that um, those were things that people were doing in the past, but no one was taking the time to ask the question of like, how can I make this authentic? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think we are now seeing people start asking those questions of authenticity, right? Of inclusion and representation of, well, how can I make this, you know, the best story that it can be? Whereas I don't think people were doing that as much, um, you know, last summer or leading up to last summer. I think now we are seeing, um, and there's a really wonderful organization that um, that I have a few friends who are a part of and who started this up called uh, the Think Tank for Inclusion and Equity, which is a group of, of writers and storytellers who come from a very diverse background and they have started putting out these things that they call the um, Thai fact sheets that are about marginalized communities or you know communities and groups of people that often get stereotyped and how you can avoid those stereotypes. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing, right? It's like, how would I know how to write something? You know, I, I can do my best to, if I'm trying to write a black character, I'm going to do my best to not stereotype them. But there are some things that because I have not lived that experience that I just can't speak to. Mm -hmm. So by having an organization where I can say like, Hey, I'm trying to find someone who can help me, you know, who can mentor, I don't want to say mentor, but who can, who can consult and be a voice to this, because I know that I'm, I'm writing about something that I don't know anything about. Um, So to answer that part of your question, Chelsea, I feel like now we are seeing more of that, of people who are, who are finally taking the steps to, to seek out the people that can help and can say like, well, here, let's, let's do our best to make it an authentic story. Mm -hmm. But as far as representation goes, um, and the reason that I think about this so much is because there is no shortage of rich nuanced stories and scripts going around Hollywood right now. I have read some really incredible stories from fellow um, writers in, again, various communities that are very specific, that are very much their lived experience, that are things where it's like, I have never seen this on TV or film and would love to see it. But, and even in my own experience of um, working uh, with former managers or just former peers, you know, I share, I, I recently wrote a story about um, a Mexican-American girl from San Antonio who wants to become a nun. 
and she discovers in her, like right before she becomes a nun, that she has the healing powers of curandera. And she finds out that that was something that was like within. Oh, so you're community. writing a story about me? Like, that fun. <laughs> I have healing powers. <laughs> Poorly, she wanted to be a nun. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning. I'm Clearly. learning a lot from Sam. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write this down. Sam. I'm putting I'm it out there in the this. universe. I want to be a nun. That's a- <laughs> So people listening to the podcast, you know, please take note all the, the content. We all have to taking. become celibate at some point, right? Might as well aspire. Anyway, sorry. Might as well. But, um, you know, just in writing these things that were about, I wanted it to be specific to San Antonio. I wanted it to be something that was like very, you know, specific. And I remember at some point being told by someone like, hey, well, could you maybe set this at the Riverwalk? Like, that's something that everybody recognizes about San Antonio, and I remember being like, okay, sure. But also like, not everybody in San Antonio is hanging out at the Riverwalk. Like yeah, that's no. not. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe me theaters, but. Yes, uh, exactly. I mean, like, before my adult life, I literally went to the Riverwalk twice ever. Yeah. Like. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who's going to the Riverwalk? Or like, yeah. they'd be like, or... let's set it outside the Alamo. <laughs> like, <laughs> just these things where I realized like, okay people have you know their own ideas Mm -hmm. of what this looks like and although those are the you know gatekeepers in and of themselves really the the thing that we need to see the the area that we need to see the most changes is in development and the executives that are working there and the people that are giving the thumbs up or the thumbs down to getting these stories onto the air to you know green lighting these series because it's within there in those gatekeepers that we don't see enough Latino, specifically Latino representation. Um, I'm sure we could say that about other other groups as well, but um, because Latinos make up such a small percentage of, of you know, behind the camera and writing specifically, um, I, I have no numbers to go on, so please take this with a grain of salt, but given the fact that there's already such a small number and small percentage of Latinx writers, like even just alone in the Writers Guild, I feel pretty confident in saying that they're probably the same number, if not less in the like development side of things. Mm -hmm. And that is really where we need to see a more diverse group of people Mm -hmm. because we as the Hanas, we can sit here and craft a beautiful story about our experience. But if the person we're giving it to is, you know, a cis white man who knows nothing about being Latina or Tejana, or might not even know that Tejana is a term, we're probably not going to get that through the door mm-hmm. unless we have some kind of like specificity that can apply to everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's really the, the biggest change we need to see is, is finding people that are that are okay with the nuance and are accepting and celebrating of the nuance of these stories and Amen. approving them to, to get to air with the people that should be creating them. That's I think the other thing is is having people at the top who will say like, yes, Sam, yes, Sharon, yes, Chelsea, like you should be telling a Tejana story if that's what you wanted to tell and you should be the one telling it not that we're going to give it to this you know this person over here who is not Tejana at all yeah you know? so so that really is the biggest uh, at the top because then I think once we start making those changes at the top much like with everything else you know in our mm-hmm. in our community um, and in our world like it's those changes that need to come at the top so that when they trickle down like it's not even a conversation 
Um, Dang, if I did, if I wasn't so set on becoming a nun, I'd probably want to be a development person. (laughs) I mean, listen, open some doors for people. (laughs) It's not too late, Sam. (laughs) You open the door for me. You've already done that. You did that back in 2011. Now I'm waiting for you to get your own show. There you go. So we can for then. That's true, Sam. Once I get to a point that I can just keep, it's a rotating door, right? It's like you let me in, I let you in. We just keep letting each other in. Sam, this should inspire you to drop the nun dream. Yeah, come on, Sam. <laughs> Open door, stay in film. <laughs> well, since we were all manifesting here for Sam, I'm going to let Marcy uh, manifest. Now that you've done like the dream job to tell a Selena story, what what now is your ultimate dream? Like, what is it that you want to write? Ooh, that's a that's your ultimate thing. Wonderful question. You know, I want to... So much of what I write already is about, I love writing about characters. I, I know I sound like a broken record with the, the cultural confusion part, but that's something that has always been very um, intriguing to me. It's mm-hmm. something that I don't always see a lot of. Um, you know, there's so many great uh, Latinx shows, on, not enough, honestly, but, but lots of great Latinx shows out there. And there's always these, um, this idea, and I love that a lot of shows like Vida did this, and I know Hentified did this to, to just off the top of my head, but it was this idea of like being brown on the outside and white on the inside and like what that means and how that is viewed through, you know, in the Latinx community. And I think that is so wonderful, but I am interested in, well, what does it mean to be white on the outside, but feel very brown on the inside? Like what, yeah. how can I talk about that in a way that that will resonate with with other people and it's you know it's it's tough because I feel like now there's also in the same way that that diversity and um, identity are becoming a, a more of a talking point um, with representation and what that means unfortunately that has also opened the door for people who, you know, see in their 23 and me that they're this percentage Latino. So that means I'm Latino and I can just, I can identify as that now. And I can just say that and not understanding what the harm that that does, if you haven't had that experience or lived that experience. And now you're just going around, you know, trying to find an opportunity to use that. Things like that are very intrigued to me, intriguing to me and, and very appealing because I've experienced a lot of that. And I want to try and, and, you know, we have this idea of like white Latinos and, and the privilege that has come with, with being that. And as much as I understand that and know that, I really want to dig deeper as to what that, what that means. Like people, I think, see this much of it and the privilege. And although that's, I'm not negating that that is true. There's so much more that comes with that, especially being in that skin and trying to find like a place where you are accepted and let in and not necessarily amongst people, but for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really am, am wanting to do more stories about that and more stuff just set in Texas. I love writing about Texas and which is hilarious considering when I was a teenager, I was like, I can't wait to get out of yeah. Texas. Yeah, exactly. And then like, it's all I write about now. 
<laughs> all I write about. It's, it's, I think about it so often and, and it's the place that I go to in my mind when I start a new piece or when I start writing about something. So anything I can that is set in Texas and that could, you know, I have this also beautiful vision of like, I'll write something that's set in Texas and then I can hire all my Texas friends to work on it. We're all working on it together. Like that's, that to me is like a really big, really big dream and goal of mine that down the road. So that's, that's kind of, I guess, the bigger, more Texas stories that I'm I wanting to that. do. Because I'm counting down the days to when you come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Marcy will be back, right? No, but she's doing great in LA. <laughs> well, you know, maybe, the, maybe I had to leave Texas for a bit in order to come back to be like here okay now yes. we can now we can do this so it yes. just takes it just some growth sam that's that's all that it is some growth. <laughs> well so i i think you already talked about what's next for you um but if people want to follow you and you know keep tabs on what you're doing and so they can watch stuff that you've written um how can people keep up with uh, what, what you're working on. Oh, wow. Uh, so, well, the only, I've, I've tried to remove myself from all social media forms, except Twitter. Mm. So I am on Twitter. Um, I'm at, at Camp Mayhorn, uh, for Campos Mayhorn. So you can find me there. That's um, what the uh, convent will be called. Camp Mayhorn. Camp Mayhorn. Yes, there, there you go. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's going to get a shirts too. She'll be like, look, Camp Mayhorn. Camp Mayhorn. When you make your film here in Texas, that'll be what we call the production. Yes. It'll be called. Kevin. There you go. Have to make t-shirts. Untitled Marcelina it. Campos Mayhorn production, AKA Camp Mayhorn. <laughs> I love it. Sign me up. I'll, I'll be looking out for some t-shirt designs in my inbox uh, sometime soon. Um, so yeah, people can follow me there. And uh, I, as far as like written TV goes, uh, we don't have a date yet, but we just wrapped production uh, or excuse me we are about to wrap production based on the date uh of my first co-written episode of tv which is super super exciting and such a such a wonderful thing to come out of covid yes. <laughs> pandemic. Yes. um yeah first episode of tv in the can now so that will probably uh legends of tomorrow premieres may 2nd okay. so my episode is a little bit later in the season so it'll probably be in the summer once i get a date i can i can post it out to everybody but that's the most uh the most immediate thing coming up so yeah hey, dang two season for two tv premieres in may <laughs> that's yes. two days apart from each other sharon i like yeah. what an incredible blessing like I, I mean I truly like I when I because I knew that Selena was going to come I knew about legends I think before Selena so then when I saw that that was also coming out I was like this is so I can't even this is so surreal this is mind-blowing like this is so don't give up on your dreams people <laughs> you just gotta go for it so I hope people out there are listening and knowing that you can do it you just have to have that tenacity and let your goals be your guiding light. Like it is, it is so possible to do. Whenever anybody is like, oh, I don't know if I could do what you do. It's like, you can, like, it, that's the thing. It starts with you saying like, I can do it. And I know that I can, I'm not gonna let anybody, you know, talk me, talk me out of it. That's so, if, if, if anybody listening takes anything away from that, that is the biggest thing is that you can do it. You, you have to believe that you can do it. Oh, Marcy, I needed to hear you say that specifically to me today. 
You can. I know you can. Sam, you I know that you can. Come on. That I've never even I've never doubted that for a, a second. <laughs> that makes one of us. Just kidding. Wait, what's your favorite Selena song? Oh my gosh. Um let's say come on the floor, but I feel like there's one uh Gagreyes was one that like mm. when working on Selena was in my mind. I was like, oh, I haven't listened to this in a in a while. I'm just like the the like soul from yeah, it and and, and and uh when i learned too that like when that song came out and she would sing it she would always make it a point to pull a man from the audience so that she could sing to them specifically and do a little like show of it i thought that was so awesome i was like yes <laughs> i love that oh well marcy this was so great i'm so grateful that you were able to meet with us today and talk about your journey i'm, I'm so inspired by you and thank you again you're so welcome thank you guys for having me on this was so much fun and i'm I, like i said i feel very like humbled and flattered that i'm your first like guest person. Thank you for, for asking. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Keep making the rest of us, Tejanas back here in the home state proud. Yeah. You're, you're definitely an inspiration to all of us. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with writer Marcelina Campos Mayhorn. Stay tuned for the next episode where we'll finally get to the first two episodes of part two of Selena, the series on Netflix. In the meantime, if you haven't already listened to the first six episodes of Tip Voices where we cover part one of the series, I highly recommend you go and check that out and you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. Speaking of, if you have time, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We want to hear what you think. 